Good morning, Foundation Church. Listen, we are excited that you are here this morning with us. If this is your first time with us, happy that you are here. Uh, we, as we just proclaim, we proclaim the name of Jesus, and we believe that in him there is hope, and in him there is freedom today, and you're going to get to hear all about that through our message. We've been going through the book of Matthew for the last few weeks, just taking it verse by verse and really coming to answer this big question. And this is the question that each and every single one of us has to answer. Jesus asked this question in Matthew chapter 16 to his disciples, who do you say that I am? And the same question is asked of us. Who do you say that Jesus is? It's the most important question that you have to answer in your life. Who do you say that Jesus is? And each every single week, we've been looking through that lens, and today is no different. We are going to be in Matthew chapter 4. So if you have your Bibles, get them out, open them up, stay with me there. If you have your phone, that works just as well too. But go ahead, open up your phone, stay with me. And once again, why even do this part? I'll take a little break. Continue to have this practice of God's Word is where we go. And so God's Word is where we go. If you have the app on your phone, go to that through your life. If you have a Bible, open it up. God's word is where we're going to be. Matthew chapter 4. This is a fun one today. It says, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him, by the holy, took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and on their hands, they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him and behold, angels came and we're ministering to him. In 1964, a psychologist from Harvard University went to San Francisco and did a study in an elementary school. He wanted to know if teachers' expectations of their students would then impact the student's IQ at that time. Do their, does their view of that student impact the success of that student? And so what he did, he put together an IQ test for these teachers. He said, this IQ test for the teachers, we're going to give it to every single one of your students, and it will predict which students in your class are on the brink of having a breakthrough in their IQ. And maybe even possibly could be the next genius among us. This test has the power to do it. And so the professor told the teachers just to minister the test and then I'll share the results and I'll help identify these students for you. And so here's what's crazy is he comes back to the teacher and says, these are the students 
that are on the brink of having incredible, incredible improvement. But here's what's wild. They were random. The test was actually nothing at all, but it was believed to be something. But he just went through each class and literally chose the students at random, but began to communicate their identity to the teachers that these students are special. And your behavior towards them will impact their future or whether or not they reach their potential. Here's what was crazy. The teachers didn't know that they were at random. The teachers fully believed these students were on this breakthrough path. And what the teachers began to do was respond to them in a very different way. They began to be more patient with them. They began to be more kind to them. They began to give them even more time on assignments. And then here's what the breakthrough began to happen. They even began to speak this over their kids. They said, oh, no, no, keep going. You're so close. Keep pushing. You don't understand what your full potential is. It's right there within you. I can see it. All of these affirmations were coming to these students. And here's what's crazy. The students also began to see themselves in new light. Their te the teacher's impact on their life began to impact how they viewed themselves. And here's what was incredible. What do you think happened? Their IQs went up. They were able to see that these students showed tremendous improvement in their studies and in their growth. Why do I share that story? It's because from the teacher's perspective, it brings to life this point that we're going to be diving into is that who we believe ourselves to believe be will very much shape how we then live our life. There's three words that I want to bring to your life today that your behavior follows your identity. Your behavior follows your identity. Who you believe that you are will, be dicti will, will dictate how you will act. Who you believe you are will dictate how you will act. For those students that began to hear and then believe that they were something special, it greatly impacted how they acted. For the teachers who then in the same way believe that these students are special, greatly began to impact who they or how they acted towards those students. As we looked at this text, and as we're going to look here closer, I want to bring to life this one word, identity. And I want you to see that these temptations in this testing that Jesus went through, that at the root of it, that what the enemy was trying to do was to get Jesus to question who he was. It's as if we come to this point, who does, who does Jesus say that he is? Who does Jesus say that his identity is? And the devil, each and every single one of these testings, is coming right at that question that Jesus has to answer and Jesus has to live out. Does Jesus really believe who he is? And what we're going to find is that his identity or that his behavior will follow that identity. Let's go back through it and let's have some fun here. Matthew chapter 4 Verse 1 through 2, let's kind of set the stage here, what's going on. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit. So here's what's incredible, is that just a few verses over, we see Jesus is literally baptized. He comes out of the water, heavens open up, and then God proclaims, this is my beloved Son of whom I'm well pleased. And then you're like, oh, this is going to be an awesome moment. Here comes the ministry of Jesus. Nope, right into the wilderness. He is led by the Spirit into the wilderness. So it is as if God is leading him into this moment where he finds himself. 
to be tempted, to be tempted, to be tested, to be tried, to discern if this really is who he says he is. To be tempted then also by the devil. By the devil. This part's very important. The devil is real. We're going to see, as we see in our later verse, he has authority over this world. Look around you. Is there evil in this world? And the simple answer is yes. Yes. All around you, there is evil. You can find it. But it says that the devil came to him to tempt him. And I want to bring up to light, how does the devil really work here? How is the devil described throughout Scripture? Well, there's one verse that really comes to my mind. It's 1 Peter 5, 8. It says, your adversary, your adversary, so an adversary is an enemy. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. As we are going to see throughout the scripture, but we must set the stage here, is that the devil in your life, the enemy in your life is always pursuing you. Always. He is constantly under prowling around, looking for someone to devour, looking for a moment in your life to ensnare you, to trip you up, to trap you. Here's what we find in Jesus's ministry. One of my favorite examples of the rich young ruler, he comes to Jesus and he says, what yet do I lack? And Jesus tells him, sell everything you have. And here's what's crazy. The man couldn't do it. it says he walked away sad. Here's what's incredible. Jesus didn't chase after him. Jesus did not chase after him. Every single one of us in this room has the opportunity to make the decision to come to Jesus. Well, he's standing at the door knocking. I love that. He is there waiting on you, but you respond to him. Here's what's crazy though. The devil works completely different. You will respond to him in many different ways, but his persistence never ends. His, he is constantly moving. He is constantly attacking you. And it will be the story of your life until Jesus literally comes back, until the rule and reign on this earth of the enemy is over. And so if you begin to put that in your context, because what the enemy would like for you to believe is that he's non-existent, that he's off to the side, that your life isn't impacted by what he's doing. But I want to counteract that to say, not everything is a temptation from the devil, but the devil is definitely present where we are. Present in your life or present in different ways. So it gives us a light of which we are stepping through. Jesus has this moment where the enemy comes to him, and this is where we see then, how does the devil like to act? What is the way in which he works? Well, one of the points I want to bring up is we can see here in verse 2, and after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, good Lord, could you imagine? Like, I could barely fast it a day. Some of you are like, I can't even skip lunch. Imagine going 40 days and 40 nights without food. That is crazy. How would you be feeling at the end of 40 days and 40 nights? Some woman in the front row last service, she was like angry. I'm like, yes, guarantee that. Hungry, right? Hungry. It says here in verse two, Jesus himself was hungry. Very important point to make that Jesus feels what we feel. Jesus being fully God, fully man, understands what we feel. He understands what it means to be hungry. 40 days and 40 nights. But here's what's incredible. You have to ask the question, if you went a day without food, how would you feel? Hungry, yes. Probably a little bit weak. 
probably a little bit like droggy, probably angry, moody. But here's what I want to begin to paint the picture. We see or we think that at the end of these 40 days that Jesus is weak. I want to challenge you to say that at the end of these 40 days, Jesus was strong. If you have ever spent time with the Lord, you understand that you are fed in a different way. Imagine being fed 40 days and 40 nights to be in the presence of God, to literally dwell on his word, to dwell in his presence. What does that do to a person? It, it goes beyond what the world sees directly to the soul. If you are starving right now, if you are missing God right now, if you feel like you are weak right now, then I just encourage you. What is Jesus doing in fasting? He is being with God. It restores your soul. It renews your soul. It gives you strength. As we begin to wage war against what is happening in our lives, the easiest way in which the enemy will attack you and me is in the moments of weakness when we are hungry. And I would say hungry not only physically, but spiritually. If we are being spiritually fed, how much more of an opportunity does the enemy have to attack us and ensnare us? But we see in this this beautiful picture and we see also that he's tempted by the devil. But why is he tempted? This part's fascinating to me. A couple of things to bring to life to identify more with us. Me and you are tempted. Me and you will be tested. And so Spurgeon, he makes this line. He said, God made one son without sin, but he never had a son without temptation. And so even more, he knows what it means to be hungry, but he also knows what it means to be tempted. And I would even argue that God, what God is doing here is he is testing his son. He is allowing the enemy to come into this moment to tempt him, to test him. And I think there's a question that he will begin to see that after this testing, he is stronger. He is more affirmed of who he is. He is more affirmed in his identity. Testing and temptations will do that. We see a great example of it. And I want to bring this to life. This is a beautiful picture. Jesus, if you notice the scripture that he used, he referenced scripture. Okay, we're going to get to that in a minute. He referenced scripture. What scripture did he reference? Deuteronomy 6 through 8. That's where he goes. Deuteronomy 6 through 8. Here's what's incredible. Is that Deuteronomy 6 through 8 is a speech by Moses to the Israelites before they go into the promised land. And he is talking to them and reminding them of their wilderness experience. Their wilderness experience, also not, not a misplay, but was 40 years. Notice the connection between 40, where literally they were finding themselves hungry. They were literally finding themselves tested by God in many, many different ways. And this testing, if you look at it this way, Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 5. 6, 4 through 5. If you have your phone, you can flip there. Be real fix. 6 through 5. You've heard these words probably before. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. As the Israelites are in the wilderness, they're having to answer this question. They're having to refer back to this question here. Will you, will you totally commit to God in the wilderness? 
Will you be able to put your full trust and faith in me? Now, here's what's incredible is that Israel failed in the wilderness. They failed greatly. How bad did they fail? To the point to where literally a whole generation, they had to wait for them to die before they went into the promised land. Can you imagine being the last person in that generation? It's like, Jimmy's just sitting over here. Jimmy, you got to die before we go into the promised land. That is a weird conversation to have. But literally, a whole generation could not enter into the promised land because of their disobedience to God, because they did not honor him, because they did not keep this commandment. They failed. So whenever you think about the failures in your life, understand, once again, who do we identify with? We are the Israelites. I have failed. You have failed. This is where we find ourselves. But don't worry. In your failure, in the moments when you feel like your failures are too great or your failures are too far, there is hope. There is hope in the end. I promise you, there is hope. Let's look at what these temptations are. How does the enemy come at Jesus? Notice he only comes at him in three temptations. It's as if these are the methods of which he wants to attack Jesus, and he's only going to do it in three ways. And so if he only does it in three ways, there's probably some very important notes that we need to look at, identify with in these three. He only had three chances, and this is what he used. The first one, And the tempter came, being the devil, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, if you are the Son of God, where has Jesus just heard these words? Matthew chapter 3, verse 17. We read them last week. You are my beloved son. The heavens open up. You are my beloved son. And then the devil, he comes right at his identity and he begins to question, if you are the son of God. Now there's one way you can look at that. If, as if the devil was questioning his authority. But there's another way to look at it. Since you are the son of God. As if the enemy already knew Jesus had authority, but was then going to question how he would respond to having that authority. So you can look at it. Since you are the son of God, why don't you just command these stones to become loaves of bread? You're hungry. Why would God have the son, of, the son of God go hungry? Doesn't that seem like a reasonable request? It's a wild thing to see. I've never seen stones turn to bread, but he's like, why don't you just do it? Let's look at this question rather this way. Should the son of God empowered by the Holy Spirit, make himself bread in his hunger, or should he wait on the Father? Let's play on this word hunger for a second. Who in their life here has been hungry? Yes, every one of us, right about this time, right? Praise God for Mary, Don, and Gary. They satisfy us every single Sunday. It's like corn dogs today, many corn dogs. Like who would have thought? It's just unbelievable. Welcome to Foundation Church where you get fed spiritually and physically. It's incredible. But hunger. Now let's just take that way beyond food though. You ever just wanted something so bad in your in your life or you wanted to do something so bad that there was just this, this hunger within you? Something that you wanted so bad to be satisfied you imagine like gentlemen, a sexual fulfillment of like you want within your life to be satisfied and the world is giving you all of these different ways of which to be satisfied. And we begin to have this idea, well, I just can't help it. I'm hungry. Or ladies on Facebook, whenever somebody hits a like, ooh, on Instagram, man, 
Doesn't that just satisfy? Somebody's affirming you. Somebody's acknowledging you. We understand what it means to be hungry. Jesus understands what it means to be hungry, but notice that he doesn't, in those moments, fulfill what the devil has asked him to do. He proclaims instead these words. He responds, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So let's look at this. He was tempted to take care of his own need. He was tempted to take care of his own need. Or he could make the decision that he to be the son of God that he has been proclaimed and affirmed to be that is dependent upon the Father. You see, in Deuteronomy 8.3, it was as if God's will for them was to be there. And in the same thing, it is as if it was God's will for him to be there, to be hungry, to be in the wilderness. And all he needed to do was trust him when he said that he would take care of them. Here's what I found profound about this moment is that God, God's will is about fulfillment and then God's will is about hunger. You see, in your life, you will be both satisfied and you will be hungry. That in your life, you will both find God's word be fulfilled and be in the waiting. Jesus knew that the Lord would provide, but he also knew that it was not the time. And so here's what I want to proclaim to you today, that if you find yourself in the waiting, if you find yourself in the waiting, the enemy will try to deceive you. The enemy will try to continue to say to you, just go ahead, just satisfy these desires. Go outside of the will of God. Go outside of the world, the word of God and satisfy yourself. In situations before God moves, there will be a hunger. In situations in your life, before you see a breakthrough, there will be a starvation within your soul. And the question that we are challenged with and that we see here in devil is, will you wait on him? Will you wait on him to satisfy you? Will you wait on him to fulfill his promises? Will you wait on him to fulfill his word? This is where he finds fulfillment. This is where Jesus is, is saying for us and leading in us that it is obedience to God's will that takes priority over our self-gratification. And whenever we look at the identity of God here or of Jesus here, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God, this is what satisfies him. This is then how he is also living his life. And so oftentimes our connection to this passage and to our hunger is I can't help it. I want it satisfied. I can't help the decisions that I make. I can't help what I look at. I can't help the actions that I do. I can't help the way I treat my husband. I can't help the way I treat my wife. You know, we have this, this stirring. I just can't help it. It's what's within me. But Jesus is looking further into this moment that's saying, mm -mm, I don't do that. And what he is saying, I don't do that because that's not who I am. I'm obedient to the Father, even in the waiting, even in the hunger. And so here's where the identification comes in, where your identity comes in is so important is because instead of saying, I can't, you identify with Jesus, you identify with God's word and you say, I won't. Or simply, I don't because that's not who I am. It's incredibly power, incredibly powerful. 
Let's continue on. Second temptation. It says, Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command His angels concerning you. And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Let's look at what he's asking here. Let's rephrase this. What's this temptation? What is the devil saying to him? Really, should the Son of God test the Father's love and protection and see if God should save him? Imagine, he's up on top of this temple with the devil, and the devil's looking at him. Man, just throw yourself down. He said, I know, you're, I know your father said that you are his beloved son, but don't you just wonder if he really loves you? It says in Scripture, notice how the devil uses Scripture against Jesus. He doesn't use it fully, though. He leaves out a sentence, which is incredibly powerful. He uses it out of context, out of the will of the Father and His Word. Don't you just wonder if He really loves you? It says here that He'll save you if you just throw yourself. Like, what? Who's just going to throw themselves off a temple? It's incredible. He says, just throw yourself. Let's truly prove that you are the Son of God. Let's truly prove God's love for you. This past October, Corey G. talked me into going down the Goalie River in the New River Gorge. There are five Class 5 rapids in it, and like, I don't know, however many Class 3s. It is wild. It is cold. And on the moment that we're going there, we're riding on this bus with like 50 people. It was crazy. One of the buddies that we were with said, Aaron, buddy, just say some prayers over us. I looked at and said, buddy, it is past time for prayer. Prayer was in the parking lot before we got on the bus. We're the idiots that hopped on the bus that said, we're going anyways, way past prayer. Because here's what God is saying. He's looking down and says, I created class five rapids. They were not created for men. You already know the danger. You already know what could happen. And so don't bring your prayers to me. Just stay off the bus. You ever been there? You know what I'm saying? Sometimes, like, we put ourselves in these prayers or in these moments where, Lord, help us. And I was praying, Lord, protect us. Like, we have made a really dumb decision. We really want to do this. This is going to be fun, but I don't know if this is that smart. Lord, protect us. Lord, keep us safe, right? It's not quite the same test, okay? It's not quite the same test. Here in this moment, it's much deeper. It's much deeper. If you are the beloved son of God, let's test his love and protection over you. And so whenever you look upon your life, here's where the enemy will tempt you, is that he will begin to have you question, not so much your identity, but God's identity. Who is God? Who is he, really? He will have you question that over and over and over. There are four basic questions that we will have to answer and ask in our life. Number one, who is God? Who is Jesus? Is right there with him, Jesus being God in flesh. Who is, who is God? What did he do through Jesus? Then because of that, who are we? And then what do we do? And all four, every single part of your actions, everything about your life, even though you may not believe in God, you already have a picture of who that is. Even if you don't believe in God, listen, if you're an agnostic or an atheist and all of your decisions are based upon that you live your life as if there is no God, then it goes back. Who is God? Non-existent. Doesn't matter. No authority. You see how incredibly powerful that is. 
And so what the enemy will try to do is he'll try to say you're in a situation where you have a need. And what you will immediately begin to question is, will God provide for you? And the enemy will tell you all of the things that he's not a provider, that he doesn't love you, that he's not merciful, that he's not gracious. And here's what you'll begin to do. You will begin to identify then as a person who doesn't understand what protection is, doesn't understand what love is, but you will live your life as if those things are really true about God. How does he try to trick Jesus or how does he? He uses scripture against him, but he uses it in the wrong way. He distorts the truth. He distorts the reality. The enemy will always work in this way. He will question, he will bring lies to your mind that will question God's character, the twisting of reality, the fabrication of truth as we've seen in God's word. And in temptation that you experience, he will want you to believe that God has abandoned you. So when you are in the moments of you're looking at things you shouldn't look at or you're acting in ways that you shouldn't act, he will make you think that in that moment that God doesn't love you, that you are a disgrace to God, and that he has actually just abandoned you. If you haven't been there, I sure have. That is not a fun place to be. Where does all that come from? Not from God from the roaring lying that is trying to ensnare you and entrap you. And what is he trying to use? The lies that begin to fill our hearts, begin to fill our minds, that we begin to hear from the world. It's crazy how he works. But I want to encourage you, if you know who the Father is, then you know who you are. Jesus knew who his Father was, and he knew then exactly who he was. He knew that he did not have to tempt the Father. As he proclaims what is the truth that Jesus says, there it says, Jesus said to him again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. In Exodus 17, 1 through 7, we see where the Israelites tested God, brought him out of Egypt into the wilderness, and the Israelites begin to grumble because there was no water. Here's what's incredible to me. They literally just walked on dry land through the sea. And then the very next step, they're in the wilderness. And they're like, God, where's the water? Are you going to provide for us? Are you even going to take care of us? You brought us out of Egypt, but yet now where, look at where we are. Our cattle are going to die. Our kids are going to die. We're going to die. And in this moment, in, in Exodus 17, they make this statement that me and you both can connect with. It says this, is the Lord among us or not? That is the question you will ask in the moments of temptation, in struggle, in strife, and in difficulties. You will begin to ask that question. Is the Lord among us or is he not? And Jesus says, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Be affirmed of his love and goodness towards you. Continues on here as we see throughout the lies and I want to encourage you here. I made a little note because here's what we have seen, me and Emily, as we've continued to just lead and be a part of church, the church world for a long time. My father, he's been in it for 30 years. He said, what will continue to trip you up in your walk with Jesus is your isolation from God's people. If you can stay connected, and it could be to one, two, three, four, five, ten, 10, whatever it may be, then your walk with Jesus will continue to be affirmed. 
If you can continue to make the decision to show up, continue to make the decision to be a part of somebody else's life, to invest in somebody's life, here is what you will find. You will find continual hope and connection. One of the greatest things that we continue to hear, me and Emily, is I don't feel connected. And so then the immediate response is people will just stop showing up to church. They'll stop showing up to small group. And then over the course of four or five weeks, here's what they continue to believe. Nobody loves me. Nobody's checked in on me. Nobody knows me. I'm all alone. It's unbelievable. Where's all that come from? Not the church, not God. It comes from the enemy. Everything he wants to do is to isolate you. Everything he wants to do is to keep you out of the presence of God. Everything he wants to do is to keep you away from other believers from people that are going to love you and support you. And how will he pull you away? It will be just subtle lies that you, over the course of time, will begin to believe. But we see the third temptation to take it a little bit further. Verse 8, he says, Again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and all their glory. All the kingdoms of the world, all the authority has been given to the enemy in this moment. And he said to him, all these I will give you. I will give you all of these. If you will fall down and worship me. The devil, he puts all the cards on the table. We learn two things about the enemy at this point. Number one, he has the authority. But number two, what does Satan want more than anything? He wants worship. He wants worship. Isaiah, if we go to the book of Isaiah chapter 14, Isaiah chapter 14, verses 13 through 14, he begins to say it this way, you said in your heart, talking of the enemy, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the Mount of Assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. And what is it that God wants more than anything from us? It is our worship. Here's what's incredible. What is it in this moment that he wants more than anything from Jesus? His worship. To be bowed down before. Jesus in this moment knows what his inheritance will be. It's already going to be the, all of the kingdoms of the earth. One day it will come. One day it will happen. But also there's this question that comes to mind. I will give you all of the earth but you don't have to go through the cross. Mm. That you can actually bypass the will of the Father to follow my will as long as you bow down and worship me. I'll give you all of this authority as if that's what Jesus ultimately wanted. But we see here in this moment, this path where Jesus instead, he doesn't choose the easy way. He doesn't fall once again for this temptation, but he chooses to take the long, obedient walk through the difficulty, through the strife, all the way to the cross for you and for me because this was the will of the Father. And I love how he says it here. He says in Matthew, in response to this temptation, he said this to him, where am I? There we are. Verse 10 said, then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan. I wanted to stop and pause for a moment. We've been praying this all week. There's been about 10 of us. 
Because we understand and we feel the attacks that you're going through in your life. And I love how Jesus just said this because it came to this moment where I love that he's like, I'm going to pray truth over you, over our lives, over our staff, over our team, over our families. And we're just going to be say, take these words here and say, be gone, Satan. Just be gone, Satan, because the families of Foundation Church are not, are not your battleground anymore. Like, be gone, Satan. May the powers of the enemy literally, literally move away from those that are being under attack. And so I love this word. Maybe you're under heavy, heavy attack right now. And if you just begin to proclaim those words, be gone, Satan. Be gone, Satan. The word of truth, be gone, Satan. Because then what you will proclaim is then the next words that you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve to remind Satan that I am not one to worship you, that I will worship the Lord, your, the Lord my God and him and him only will I serve. So be gone, be gone, Satan. I love that. I hope that gives you just a little bit of hope and encouragement there. This was a choice of allegiance, and it was ultimately continually tried to distract Jesus from his true identity. In verse 11, we see the culmination of this, then the devil left him. And behold, angels came and were ministering to him. He was fed, he was revived, he was restored. The Lord provided everything that even fulfilled Psalms 92 that the devil used. He fulfilled it in this moment. But I want you to just know that where Israel failed, where you and I fell, Jesus succeeded. Jesus did not fail. And this is incredibly, incredibly hopeful. You see, we continue to bring up this point at the very beginning. Behavior follows identity. Behavior follows identity. As the temptation came to Jesus, what would his behavior be? How would he respond to Jesus or to the enemy? It would all be rooted in his identity. To understand truly and fully who he was. To know that he was the son of God. And know that this is what it meant to be the son of God. Jesus, I love this. He acts like who God says he is. He acts like who God says he is. And so we share these passages, we share this deeper look at it, that what we really see this incredible challenge of the devil is really a challenge to question, to have Jesus question his true identity. And I believe the same is going to be true for each and every single one of us. Who do you believe yourself to be? Simple question. Who do you believe yourself to be? If you have put your faith and trust in Jesus, do you believe that you are his? As so much of scripture says that we are his heirs, that through his work, through his death, his burial and his resurrection, that we are now counted as righteous, that we are now adopted as sons and daughters of God. And the simple question is, do you see yourself as a son and daughter of God? If you put your faith and trust in him, do you see your father on the throne? Do you see your father now having all authority, having the ability to literally push the Satan away, to push the enemy away? But who do you believe that you are? 
And I want to just help you here for just a moment. Kind of continue to look at this question of your behavior follows your identity. To change your behavior is to change the way you see yourself. And this self-image helps to make these difficult choices in advance. Anybody in here ever looked up what their name means? Anybody in here? Yeah, some of you, it's probably like really, really cool. Some of you can just be like terrible. So this is a really cautious experiment. Your parents chose a really awful name for you or your last name just is, doesn't mean much. Like a, I use this like a Turkish donut, you know, it could just be something really simple and silly. And it's like, awesome. Well, mine's kind of cool. Mine's kind of cool. So I'm going to kind of lift this up for just a moment because it's really spoke to me. And a good friend, Dean Brand, he began to talk about this with me. He said, what if your meaning, what if the meaning of your name carries a greater weight in your life? And so I looked up what Rayburn means, Rayburn. And here's what's really cool. It's a roe deer brook. And if you look back in history, it was an Irish origin, the crest, everybody know what the crest is for the family origin? Ours is literally a deer bent over drinking out of the water. That's what a brook, a string, it cuts through. And so here's what was really, really cool. Wherever I read that and see those, oh, that reminds me of something. You know what it reminded me of? Psalms 42.1, let me read it for you. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, oh God. And in that moment, I begin to remind myself, that's who I want to be. That's who I am. I am like a deer who is just craving flowing streams of water. And as that deer pants for water, so my soul seeks you, oh God. And then I begin to share this with Emily. I said, do you realize this is what Rayburn means? We're like deer who are thirsty. And that what that means is like our souls are just thirsting after God. I was like, let's pray that over our sons. Let's pray that they, as they raise up, that they would know that their identity means way more than just a name, but it goes back to what their purpose is in life, that we thirst after the Lord. And all that we do, we thirst after the Lord. And here's what's incredible. He will satisfy. And if we can put that over our kids as their identity, man, what incredible hope and power that they will have in their life. And so the same question is for you, is what is your identity made in? Where do you find your identity? And like I said, it may not be in your name, but I wanna share where Jesus began to find his identity, not only from his father speaking over him and affirming this, but he looked at God's word. So how do you know your identity? You read and you believe what scripture says about you. And not only do you read and you learn from God's word what it says about you, but most importantly, it says what is about God. It says tells you everything about who God is and what he is like. And so once again, if you're struggling with identity, if you're struggling with testing, you're struggling with temptations, Begin to look back at what Scripture says about you and what Scripture says about God. The second thing I want to share with you is that how do you know your identity is that you must understand that you don't rely on your own strength. That we have through here, who led Jesus into the wilderness? The Holy Spirit. Who was with Jesus through his temptations? The Holy Spirit. Who is with you? 
in your temptations is the Holy Spirit. In moments of testing, in moment of lies, you understand that you are not alone. I love this so much that even though the devil may be persistent and may be constantly coming after you like a roaring lion, here's what I want you to know is that God's word promises that you are never alone, that his presence is always with you, is always there. It isn't chasing after you. It isn't pursuing you, but it is with you. It is who you are. And so as his persistent attacks come, just know you are not alone and it is not in your strength that you have to fight him but in the strength of the Holy Spirit within you Jesus he shows us that he is our example of that but then third I want you to just understand that everything that we have talked about up to this point that we are not Jesus that we are not Jesus that our identity is built in who he is and what he has done for us that because of his death, burial, and resurrection, that we can be identified as children of God. It is through his work that we are who we are. Who is God? A loving father. What has he done? He sent his one and only son for you and me. So then what does that mean who we are? If we put our faith and trust in him, we are then a son of God. And what does that mean? What do we do? We bring about his kingdom. We bring about his work. We are the good that has come into this world. We are the light that has come into the darkness. And we don't do things, we don't do things just because we can't. We don't do things because it's not who we are. The things of which we do, the way in which we live comes out of our identity. Comes out of our identity. Who is God the Father? What did he do through Jesus? He saved you and me. To all those who repent and believe, we may become sons of God. That is then who we are. And what do we do? We used to live, as I proclaimed earlier, in hope and in freedom, both incredible, incredible purpose. As we come to a close here, I wanted to help you see this more clearly and more fully. If you go in your Bibles to chapter, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23, as Jesus is with the disciples, he had this moment with them of breaking bread and drinking the wine, where he tells them, as often as you are together, do this in remembrance of me. And I wanted to close in this way because I wanted you, as you step away from these walls, that your, your behavior and your identity, or your, let's go back to how I said that, I apologize, that your behavior will follow your identity and you can re be reminded that you can remember where your identity now lies. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, it says, For I see from the Lord that I also delivered to you that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given things, he broke it. And we can see here in this moment in your seats that there's a little cup and in this cup there's some juice and a wafer. Now this in this moment that we're about to step into is for the believers. It says also in the rest of chapter 11 that this is a reminder for the believers, for those who identify with Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, those who have put their faith and trust in Him. And today we always want to give the opportunity, if you have not yet done that, that today you can that today you can step into his hope and his freedom, that you can take on a new identity today in Jesus' name. As we're going to read next week, repent and believe. Repent and believe. 
repent of your sins and believe that Jesus came for you and died for you and he got up out of a grave for you and you're reminded today of that incredible sacrifice that he made. We'll have some prayer team up here at the end of service that if you made that decision today or you want to know more about that decision, we want to continue to walk that through, through with you. But for today, those who have put their faith and trust in Jesus today be reminded by what we are about to partake in of the incredible love of Jesus and the identity that we now have because of what he has done for us. Now, I'm not gonna lie, in the next few moments, you may have some struggles and I'm gonna have some struggles as well, but you're gonna see a couple different pieces to this. There's a plastic part on the top that'll get the way for free. If you don't care, just go ahead and have that in your hand. lucky mine kind of broke perfectly so it's awesome i struggled first service in a pretty big way it was great as i read these scriptures and as we just begin to dwell on this will you just be reminded of what this represents in chapter 11 he says this this is my body which is for you the body that was beat the body that was broken for you and for me do this in remembrance says in the same way also he took the cup after supper saying this is this cup is the new covenant of my blood the new relationship the restoration the kingdom of God at hand it is here it is now he said do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me so as you just take for a moment, just open it very carefully. You, know, you can take like a little teeth move and just pop it. Be all right. But I just want you to be reminded today of the blood that was shed. The blood that was shed for your sins and my sins. And here's what I want to share with you today. It is enough. It is enough. It is enough. So be reminded constantly as you leave that His blood is enough, that He has washed you, He has cleansed you, and you can step into freedom today because of what He has done. Let us partake. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank You, God, so much for bringing us into Your house today. Lord, as we go from this place, we understand that there will be trials and there will be temptations and there will be testing that come upon our life. But I pray that through all that we would go through, God, that we would not forget your, your incredible, incredible love for us. God, that we would not forget that you are a good father, that you are a loving father. God, that your grace and your mercy has been extended to us. God, that you have power and dominion over all that we see and over all powers that may come against us, God, that this is who you are. And you sent your son to die for us, God, and we have just, just stepped in and remembered the body that was broken, the blood that was shed for our sinfulness, God, and we are now no longer bonded 
to sin, that we are now set free in Jesus' name. We are now set free of our sins. We can step now into that freedom, Lord. May we be reminded that that is now who we are, that we are free, God, in your name, that we are sons and daughters, Lord. May that be who we are, and God, may that be represented now in how we live. Our behavior now, Lord, will follow this identity, and may we never, ever forget that identity today, Lord. As the world comes against us, as the evil one comes against us, God, may we stand strong today in Jesus' name. Amen.